0: So we're going to get into the scriptures today, Um, and here's the title of the message today. I really like the title, Human Indulgence, Uh, and believe it or not, uh, we're going to be pro-indulgence by the time we get to the end of the passage, so that'll be fun to get there together. Yeah. (laughs) The elders are already skeptical. Wait a minute. We should have looked at the script for the passage before Rick taught today, because apparently this could be a problem. I do want to share something with you that I really believe is is from the Holy Spirit. Now I keep hearing from others of you that you're hearing the same kind of thing, and so what I want to share with you is just this idea. uh, And I mentioned it last week about pace, and I really do believe for us at this time it's just a super healthy idea to think about and pray about what is the pace of the Holy Spirit. And I've been thinking about it in terms of gears. So if you think of of a, I still have a. Uh, automatic, it's called an anti-millennial theft device, (laughs) and uh, if you don't get that, I can explain it. It's a manual, yeah, it's a manual, yeah, I do it myself, and uh, so I've got five gears to work with, and so that's what I'm thinking through is five gears, and here's the idea, I I would suggest that in this metaphor that the pace of the spirit is third gear, and that the gears below that are generally kind of non-engagement, just living life on my own and relying on the resources that I have as a human created in the image of God, but I'm not really maximizing this incredible source of the Holy Spirit that Jesus has said, I give to you so that you can follow me, so you can obey me. And I would suggest that fifth gear is just a frenetic human pace that we live in, where you have no Sabbath and you're just going crazy. But to be honest, I've shared this with some church leaders, and they've said to me, yeah, we've tried to lead our church in fifth gear. We've just been so constantly busy that we don't even check in with God necessarily to ask him what he wants to do on a given day. We have a program and we have these slots that we need to fill and we know what they are and we just go for it. And they're not saying that they're totally in the flesh, but just this idea of they're going at a pace that might be faster than what God is doing. And so as I've been working with this analogy for a few weeks, I'm really loving the idea because it really helps me on the one hand not to go it alone in the flesh and just try to make my days happen by my own power, but also not to be at a pace that's crazy doing too much. And we can even do both of these on a Sunday morning. I mean, right now, you could participate in this gathering in first gear, which would be just pretty much non-engaged, not just with me, but also with the scripture and with the truth and with the Holy Spirit and kind of checking out and somewhere else. Or you could be in fifth gear where you're just Things are going crazy, and you're a little bit afraid right now, or you're anxious, or you're, you know, whatever. You're just caught up in going too fast, and so I want to invite you right now. Let's let's make sure that you are in third gear, this place where there's a little bit of peace and calm in you. Um, you're glad that you're here. You're fully here. You're attentive to us as as a body together, and you're also attentive to the Holy Spirit, and not in fifth gear where you're already thinking about 12 o'clock and 1 o'clock and 2 o'clock today and what needs to happen. So I invite you just come into third gear with me and let's see where God leads. Even as a teacher, for me, third gear is being sensitive to where I didn't anticipate going. Fifth gear for me would be good notes, going solid. I've actually memorized the manuscript. Hang on, here I go. Uh, First gear would be a carelessness and a sloppiness in preparing. But third gear for me is to prepare well. But then in the moment right now, (laughs) to be attentive to you and to the Spirit, to what you might think or say if you share something, and to what the Holy Spirit might want to say. So that's third gear. So, Ephesians chapter 2. It's going to be on the screen. You're welcome to look it up, but we'll read it together. And we're just going to start out looking at verses 1 and 2. Paul is writing to a church that he's deeply invested in. He's left his favorite disciple, Timothy, to be an overseer and to help this church get established. And so he writes this amazing letter, one of the most full letters he writes, to help them be who God has called them to be. So as a part of it, he says this. He says, as for you, Gentiles, remember, he is talking from a place of being a Jewish authority, and he's talking about us as Jewish leaders and you as a Gentile church. He says, as for you, Ephesian church, you were dead in your transgressions and your sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So in that extended sentence, he's framing, maybe you could even call it a first or second gear life where God is not a part of the story. There are several influences in this story. He said, you used to live a life that was not connected to God. God. You used to live a life that is good in that you're created in the image of God, but the life that you used to live is terminal. The life we live in the body, apart from God, is terminal. It's going to be 30 to 85 years-ish for all of us. It's terminal. And that's the life that you used to live. And in terminal life, there are several participants. There's us as people But there's also these powers and these influences. You used to follow the ways of the world and the rulers of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So when you live life without God, the influences that you tend to live by are two. There's two influences here. Help me out. What do you see those are? What's the first influence on humanity without God? The flesh. Yeah. Say more. Right. Yep. <laughs> the things I don't want to do, I do do. Very nice. You said do do in church. That's <laughs> <wonderful>. <laughs> You're exactly right, right? We live in this mix of I'm created in the image of God, so there's some goodness here, but I'm also broken. I also have sin, and so there's also some bad here. So there is this dichotomy in every one of us, and everybody wants to be better, but we realize I just can't be better all the time. And so I'm in this flesh place. And this is where the world is. If you watch our culture right now, it's so sad to me to watch. There's a call to better humanity right now. There's a call to better living. But all the world is able to do is focus on one problem at a time because it can't really be good in all respects. And so right now, the giant judgment is generally on uh, men, primarily, who commit, um, who are sexually unhealthy, who are sexually abusive, or, or they abuse their authority or their hierarchy in relationships. And so there's a tremendous judgment on that, which is accurate. But in the midst of it, there's also judgment right now against hatred towards certain peoples and certain ethnicities. But the battle that's being fought against hatred is using hatred to fight the battle. And it's, so, it's such a double standard. But the world can't do any better Because you can only muster enough flesh to do good in a little bit of your life. You can't do it all. So you're going to be super inconsistent. Only the Holy Spirit gives us the strength and the power to be righteous across the board and to be consistent in all of life. And so the world is wanting to be better. They're feeling like, yeah, we're good enough. We can make this work. But they're not doing a good job at all. They're doing a horrible job. And it's so sad to watch. And we have been a part of that story. We didn't have the Holy Spirit. There's a second influence at play here, and uh, I'd love for you to help me define this. The ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. What is that? Who is the ruler, the power of the air? Satan. Satan, yeah, right? And the air here is more probably the idea of atmosphere, and I would say the spiritual atmosphere that is around us we have had in the past this this dichotomy that heaven is up and earth is down and that's really not scientifically accurate uh, they exist together in the same physical space but they're actually somehow dimensionally different so something of heaven is here and is around us god is around us the spirits angels are around us heaven is very close jesus even said the kingdom of god the kingdom of heaven is here it's at hand and yet the earth is also. So in some ways, these spaces overlap, um, but they're not drastically as far apart as we might think. So in the space that God is choosing to rule right now in heaven, everything is being conducted according to his will. It's got to be an amazing space. It's got to be a space where, man, when you walk into it, you're just like, ah, this is so good. And I would say that you do walk into that space. I think when you are intentional... And you are in a place of solitude or silence or prayer or meditation or the scriptures. And you're truly engaged with the Holy Spirit. You literally just, it's like this curtain. Like I'm in a space where you can see me and I can slip into another dimension. (laughs) I'm in the other dimension right now. This is silence and solitude. This is pretty awesome. It's not appropriate right now though. (laughs) What did you say? Yeah, I come out of the closet. I'm actually filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> gotcha. So we get to step into that dimension now and then. But, no, but people without God don't. People without God do not have access to the Holy Spirit. I, I would say the Holy Spirit may come near, and they may experience a closeness to him. I would hope that when you are present with people who don't know Jesus, that the Holy Spirit has come near to that person, and that you're even allowing that spirit to be felt. Have you ever had someone say to you, maybe at work, I don't, I don't know what it is about you, but I just really feel safe with you. Or I just, I really admire, you seem to be happy a lot. Uh, when other people are upset, you just seem to be calm, and I really like that about you. you. Some of you have heard that, right? That's that sense of the Holy Spirit that is in you and who is not in them. So this is how we used to be. Following godless influences is terminal, whether it's the flesh Or whether it's Satan and his spirits, we used to live in that life. Good news is, we keep going. He goes on to say, and now when he says all of us, he's referring not only to you Gentiles in Ephesus, but both Jew and Gentile. All of us used to live among them, people without God, at one time. And this was what we did. This was our goal and this was our motivation. We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh, as you said. And following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. So when we entertained corruption and sin into our environment, the perfect environment that God created for us, there was the only desires that existed were childlike desires. They were the desires of the Spirit of God and of humanity created in God. Those were the only desires that were around So if you think about being in a room with children who at the time are being good and they're not being influenced by childishness, what are their desires? They want to play. They want to be close. They want to learn. They want to discover. They want to check stuff out. Yesterday I had a wonderful day. Four of our grandkids came over to our house for the day and Tricia was at work. So from about 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Uh, I was with them alone, and we just had this amazing, childlike five hours. I don't know why, but they were really good the whole day. In fact, one of them asked me at about 2 o'clock, he said, Papa, are we annoying? And I said, what? He says, yeah, my dad says sometimes we're annoying. (laughs) And I agreed with the dad. I'm sure there are times when you're annoying. But you haven't been annoying today at all. In fact, I just want to thank you because you've just been so pleasant. It's just been so good. And it was so good to look at his face. He was just kind of like oh, all right, I cannot be annoying. (laughs) But it was just, it was an amazing five hours. We just had such a good time. And the only desires that were going around were for connection and for play and for imagination and for food. And I had that desire as well. We ate a couple of meals and some snacks. But it was a really wonderful environment. But because of transgressions and sins, that environment is now polluted. And so there's this mixture of motivations and desires. And unfortunately, when too many humans get together, they tend to lean towards the worst that they can be. Uh, I guess even legally, if you are a part of some crime, but you're doing it as a part of a mob, there's some grace for that because we know that when humans get together in force, they just all tend to run in the wrong direction. Uh, I think you watch that with children. We we have class ratio limits because when you get above a certain number of kids, they go towards a bad place. They go towards total chaos, and to some of them getting hurt, and to nothing good. And so this whole idea is that humanity together, the earth is covered with a mob, and that mob is going after cravings and desires. Now as adults, we get a little bit more sophisticated about how we go about it, and so we become smoother at being selfish and going after selfish desires, but we kind of do it in cooperation with each other, and so we become a little more acceptable. But to be honest, down deep inside, the image of God continues to deteriorate and the selfishness of man continues to grow. I remember seeing this when I worked in an old folks' home when I was 18. Sorry, that's an old phrase. I'm not sure what the phrase is today. But it was a retirement home. And the veneer was gone on every one of these humans. There was no more veneer. So whatever was left inside, that's what we got. And there were a few clearly men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. You would go into those rooms, and it was just amazing. The Holy Spirit was in the room. I remember this one woman. She would say, oh, it's good to see you. Come, come. Would you read the Word of God to me? I can't read anymore, but I just want to hear the Scriptures again. And I would just read to her, and it would be this heavenly moment because the Holy Spirit was there. And then there was the mailman that I would take care of, and I would have to give him a shower every day. And he loved to save his... um, his solids for me in the shower, and so I would always get a chair for him, and he would choose to poop when we were in the shower. And I finally got good at controlling it, but I could just watch his face as he would do this, kind of like, "There you go." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh man. <laughs> and then one day I went to shave him I don't know why we did. I guess we wanted to keep him looking good, and he, was, he had had a stroke, so he was paralyzed on his right side, and I made the mistake of shaving him from the left side this day. So I got out his Norelco razor, and I got him already, and I'm talking to him, and I think we're doing fine, and I start shaving him, and all of a sudden, this left fist comes straight up out of the bed and cocks me in the chin. Now, fortunately, he's 85 years uh, old. He has no strength, so it's just more of a surprise. There's no hurt, but it caught me off guard, and then after he did that, he just muttered something mean to me. I have no idea what he said, but his veneer was gone, and all he was left with was his flesh. That's where he was living from. That's the kind of desires he was living out of. And we are good at masking that, but that veneer will go away. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. I want to talk just a second about wrath, and I want to add to it maybe a part of what you understand. Um, we have been living in, I think, an entire century where we have understood God's highest value is moral perfection, that that is God's, you know, we're like, we're not as morally perfect as God, that that's his highest value. And you know this is true, but I want to remind you that that is not true. God's highest value is love. His highest value is love. Moral perfection is the ability to love perfectly. So when God judges sin, he's not judging imperfection as in you weren't good enough, but he's judging sin as in you were not able to love. The choices you made are loveless choices. So if you really look at it and think it through, every sin is some form of lovelessness. Every sin somehow diminishes your ability to love. So I would just want to take away that picture that's been painted out there that God is primarily saying you're imperfect go to hell. And that's not <laughs> the story. The story is you are incapable of loving well. And if I let you have eternal life in the state that you're in, you will destroy each other before it's all over. This is why Babel came. Because men and women were becoming extremely excited about the unity that they had. And they started shaking their fist against God and saying, we don't care about God. And they were very united in their rebellion. God knew where that would lead. All of humanity would destroy itself in a period of generations. And so he gave a bunch of different languages just to spread us out so that that mob mentality would stop happening. And so that we would go into these more rural ways of living and slow down in our depravity and in our progress towards self-destruction. So when God says that we deserve wrath, he's saying, "You, I need to take away life because if you keep going, you will destroy it anyway and life will end. And so the wrath of God is directed at lovelessness primarily. Secondarily, imperfection, yes, because imperfection leads us to fail to love. But what, he's, what he is condemning in that is a humanity that is trying to kill itself all on its own. And he really, I believe, can't stand to watch the process. Better to take life and end the horror than to let the horror continue until life is taken anyway. This is what his judgment was on the nation of Canaan when he was bringing Israel into the nation. It wasn't because they were not chosen people. It's because they had gotten to the place. And here's the criteria. Here's the criteria. I believe God says, when you start abusing and destroying children, that's where I draw the line. It's whatever a nation does with its children that is a way that God judges a nation. And the Canaanite nations had gotten to the point where they were burning their babies in a fire in sacrifice to demon gods, and they were sacrificing their children and abusing their children um, sexually and in every other way. And if we go do some historical study, you'll see that. God is judging Canaan because they are destroying themselves, and it's gotten so bad that they've lost their tenderheartedness towards even children, and now they're just killing everything and being selfish about everything. So under that story, all were condemnable. The good news is, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. When we were praying before the gathering this morning, we always ask the Holy Spirit to lead us in anything in particular God wants to do today. And one of us prayed specifically that we would understand the gift that we have in God. And I knew what was coming in my teaching, so I was excited to hear that prayer. Because I thought, there's a prayer that's so in step with the Holy Spirit. And this is where I want to spend a little bit of time this morning and really ask you to receive this, not just as something you know, but something that you believe and something that you receive. God has done all of the work. He is rich in mercy. And through Christ, he has made us alive. It is by grace. I don't know what it is, but somehow as humans, we feel like we have to pay for everything. That nothing comes for free. And so we feel like we have to work for it. And the scriptures have always said this, it's never been any different. That the work of Jesus Christ is grace, it's free. Not only is it free, but it was given to us when we were going the other way. The grace of Jesus didn't come after a certain number of humans got better or asked him to come or somehow began to earn his presence and his work. The grace of God through Jesus Christ came in the middle of human rebellion and human carelessness. And it came as a complete gift. We didn't get good enough at some point to earn it. But in the midst of our brokenness and our self-destruction and our failure to love God and his mercy I imagine, with tremendous tears and a broken heart, said, I'm going to do something about this. So he made us alive in Christ, no longer terminal, even when we were in rebellion. It's by grace you have been saved. Let's go a little further because this continues to develop. Life is a gift. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us In the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. This is that gospel, that second part of the gospel that we need to revive again. Again, over the last century or so, we had half the gospel and the half that we had was you're not going to be held accountable for sin anymore. And that's incredible news. But the second half of the gospel is, and beginning today, the day that you receive Jesus Christ, you can begin to live eternal life. We don't get this permission to live eternally and then we hang on to it until death and just keep living in the flesh and keep living in the hopelessness and brokenness of life without the Holy Spirit. But we are invited into a resurrected life um, today and every day to live in, the, in what we're talking about so that's what all of this theology means. God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms. Remember, the heavenly realms are not far away. They're just, you just got to slip, slip over here a little bit. We've been invited to slip into this space where God exists, where he is fully exercising his authority and where we are in Christ. And I would say this happens in two ways. I think that this is, for one, it's a promise for the rest of life. So we've been given the promise that when Jesus comes back and fully brings heaven and earth into a single space, and there's only one space, there isn't heaven and earth, but they're one space, we already have a reservation. We've already been seated there. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. There's a room, and it has your name on it, and I'm preparing that. And when I come back, I will bring you into the room. But you have a reservation, and that reservation is guaranteed. No matter when we have to let you go, your, your reservation is guaranteed. In order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. But secondly, God allows us to check into that space whenever we want to today and to be a part of an experience of the presence of God. In fact, he's done away with the tents and he's done away with the sanctuaries and he's done away with the Meccas and he's done away with Jerusalem. And he has said, my dwelling place now is you, 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 you. Yes, you too. (laughs) Every one of us. God says, if I'm going to live anywhere, I'm going to live within you. And, you know, the more we talk about this, I'm like, man, I don't think we've really grabbed the whole thing here. Because if, if we really grab this completely and believe it, I just can't imagine not being more. What? <laughs> Are you kidding me? God Almighty in me all day, every day? I know we don't experience it that way. It's now and not yet. But I just keep feeling like God's saying, let's tip the scales here a little bit. Let's tip the scales. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Again, for it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Salvation is a gift. And this is where I really want us to land today, in your heart and in your mind and as we worship, is to really take a hold of this. Not only did Jesus give us everything when we didn't earn it. But he also continues to give it to us, and we don't become disqualified. And I would venture to say that a lot of us, some of us, are struggling with what we feel like is disqualification. Like, okay, I got the gift, and that makes sense, but the way I've handled the gift and the way I'm living, I don't really deserve it again. I've become disqualified again. And so we keep feeling like I've got to work for it. And Paul talks in other places about what were you freely given? Why are you acting as though now you need to earn it? You received this gift from Jesus without work before. When did you start engaging this idea of, but now I have to work to keep it? But now I have to work to keep it. I know this is counterintuitive. I remember working with a young man at one point. Uh, He was a part of a youth group here in Sherwood. um, Had a really tough story growing up. I was working so hard to see him understand grace and how deeply he was loved. And one day, he came to me to confess some activity that he had been involved in the day before. And it was really unhealthy activity. It was sin. And it it was bad. And every time he would tell me more of what he did, my default wanted to agree with him how bad it was. And that day the Spirit just kept telling me to tell him, that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. I mean, even with a lot of strength. And I, I felt like intuitively, I thought, this is such the wrong thing to say. I just feel like this is wrong. He needs to sit in the wrongness of his sin. He needs to feel it. And he needs to admit it so he doesn't do it again. And he needs to repent in tears and sackcloth and ashes. You know, and But the Spirit just kept saying, Don't say that. Say it's okay. And the story got worse, and the story got worse. And by the third level, I'm thinking, I have to be thinking heresy. This is so wrong. And I just kept saying to him, that doesn't really matter. You belong to Jesus Christ. And in that moment, I think I was learning as much as he was that that this is a free gift. And even three seconds after you fail in the worst way that you've ever failed, it doesn't matter as far as your relationship to the Father goes. Now, there may be a tremendous amount that matters in your need to reconcile or give back to someone or ask for forgiveness or restore what you did, but with the Father, it doesn't matter. I've even tried to put this 24-hour thing on it, like, okay, I screwed up really bad this morning. This day is is a wash. Tomorrow, I'll wake up again, and God will fill me with his spirit, and it'll be a good day. So I'll just lay low today, not try to do anything very challenging because I'm in the flesh today. And that worked for me for a while. I don't know why, but lately God is saying, eh, that's not really right. (laughs) I don't require 24 hours before you are worthy to be filled again and to be loved again and to experience grace again. And I just feel like he's waiting for me to be okay with that and to get past it myself. And I still, I'm still with the 24-hour thing. I just can't give up on the 24 hours. <laughs> I need to suffer a little bit because I was stupid. And so I keep, I keep buying by that rule. I'm not yet ready for the five-minute-later rule. But I will say to you, it's truth. That forgiveness and being qualified to be filled with the Spirit and the reality that you are entirely loved... You can never, ever, ever shut that down. You can't shut Am I right? This is the teaching of Scripture, right? You can't shut it down. By grace, you have been saved. You can't brag about it. God, I got through 24 hours. I'm now worthy. Fill me with the Spirit. No. No. Father, forgive me. I've sinned. I've lived out of my flesh again. I forgive you, Rick. I know. I love you. My love didn't slow down. It didn't diminish. I was not upset with you. I was not embarrassed by you. I do not reject you. I love you. Come back. Come back away from the desires of your flesh. Come back away from humanity and what it says you should want. I want to give you good desires again. Come back. We can do this. I love you. Come back. Right? Every day, right? All day long. This is what the gift is. How much of the gift have you opened? How much of the gift are you... You realize this box has no bottom, right? (laughs) This is available all the time. For we are God's handiwork. We are God's project. We are God's masterpiece. We are what God is working on. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. God has always had this wonderful, beautiful vision for what humanity should be experiencing every day. And it's all about work, and it's all about play, and it's all about beauty and creation and meaning and purpose. God started it with Adam and Eve, and then everything got put on hold, but now through Jesus Christ, God says, session is back in, my workshop is back open, and I am making humans amazing again. I now have the freedom, the power again to make something really, really cool out of Jeremy Bascom. Something really cool. You're in the workshop. He's working. We keep crawling out down off the workbench. (laughs) Jesus keeps saying, what are you doing? Get back up here. I'm doing something really cool. What are you doing on the floor? Are you on the floor today? Have you jumped off the workbench? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. We are the creators, new creations in process. God is always making something, and he invites us to be people who make things as well. And one of the things he's making is us. So, I ask you to worship in third gear now. Don't run ahead and don't be behind. Keep up with the truth that we're talking about right now and ask the Spirit to bring it home to you. What does it look like to accept grace as a gift every waking moment? And what does it look like to stay on the workbench and let God continue to make you into the woman that he wants you to be and the man that he wants you to be? This is our God. This is the invitation Jesus gives us. Maybe today we'll start out at the tables during the first song and uh, just remember the sacrifice, what it cost to give us this. And remember, Paul said, if he gave us this for salvation, will he not also give us everything else? And I believe part of the heart of God is, why have you only come part way? Why are you only living in first gear when I've died to give you everything? I didn't just die to give you That reservation in heaven, I died to give you new life, eternal life, now. And so let's start at the table. um, Just come as a friend or roommates or families. Take the bread and the cup. Thank you, Jesus, for your death and resurrection. And then we'll continue to worship. We'll just see what the Spirit does. Let me pray for you, and I'll pray over the elements. Father, thank you for your deep love for us. We receive what you have said this morning through Paul and through this conversation. And we ask you, Father, to help us where we can't help ourselves, God. Um, We know that it's more than our minds that needs to change. It's our hearts. And we can't change that. So we ask you, Holy Spirit, as we worship, change our hearts and give us the capacity, God, to receive more grace to receive more of the Holy Spirit to empower us to live. Jesus, we praise you and we thank you for the life that you lived and the death that you died. We receive your body and your blood into us as a symbol of your presence with us. and We say thank you again today. And we pray again, fill us with the Spirit. God, let us live today in eternal life, we pray. Jesus, thank you. Amen.